He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tēnā koutou katoa and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the Islamophobia that isn't going away. The second verse of the national anthem calling for a land free from dissension, envy and hate. It was heard at vigils after the attacks at the Linwood and Al-Nur mosques in Christchurch that left 51 people dead and many injured. The verse was also used by the Prime Minister in her address at the National Remembrance Ceremony in Hagley Park. Our challenge now is to make the very best of us a daily reality because we are not immune to the viruses of hate, of fear, of other. We never have been, but we can be the nation that discovers the cure. Many shocked at the violence of the shooting and comforted by the nationwide grief and outpouring of support for New Zealand's Muslim community felt this would be a turning point, including this Christchurch student. We're such a diverse country, we're so accepting, we're so kind, we're so loving and I just know that's how it's going to stay. No one can ever take that away from us. But has change come about? Were many of those who turned out to show solidarity with Muslim New Zealanders unprepared to speak out when others showed their bias? Has much of the rhetoric turned out to be hollow words? Talk about Islamophobia. I mean, we are so scared of that word. Like, everyone is shit scared about the word Islamophobia. And I just think, why? I I don't understand. It is an issue. And you can't, just because you ignore it or you're scared of the word doesn't mean that it's going to go away. After the horror of that Friday afternoon five months ago, thousands visited mosques in support of local Muslim communities, many for the first time in their lives. Tears flowed at the Kilburnie Mosque in Wellington when a supporter broke into song during a visit by Jacinda Ardern. You may say that I'm a dreamer But I'm not the only one We came to Wellington in uh, 1966 and more or less we've we've stayed there. My parents have have lived here um, ever since then. And uh, so in those days there was no no mosque, very small community, just a few families and a few university students and a few embassy staff. Leila Adams' family helped set up the mosque in Kilburnie in Wellington that gathers people in who have come from all around the world, be it Fiji, Cambodia, Iraq or Ethiopia, and from just down the road. She's grown up a New Zealander, wears a hijab or headscarf, and while it pains not to speak for others, says her experience of non-Muslim New Zealanders has been generally positive and polite. When the shocking events unfolded on March the 15th, she was one of those called on to help in Christchurch. A friend and I were asked to go down um, because we have a reasonable amount of of experience in um, washing and shrouding the dead. So uh, we went down in that capacity um, the morning after it happened. And 
basically we organised teams of women. Um, at that stage we didn't know how many women had passed away, uh, we didn't know anything, um, but we went down and uh, got teams ready. Everything was very peaceful in that, in that realm, and so it was a real privilege, it was actually a real honour to be part of that, yeah. But along with being able to help the Muslim community at such a time of dire need, something else hit Layla. There was a change in the way she was being treated. One o'clock in the morning, someone said, your tickets are sorted. Two o'clock in the morning, I was packing. Six o'clock in the morning, I was, you know, on a, get, going to the airport. So um, it was very quick. And when, when we got to the airport, that's when I noticed it seemed like everyone around me had changed. And I suddenly realised, you know, people were smiling, talking, stopping us as we were walking, giving us hugs. It was such a, a surprise. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't process that at all. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And I realised that probably post 9-11 from that time for a very long time the only way I could describe it to myself was there has been a background hum a low level noise that's been with us for quite a long time something that I didn't know that was there but I think I was always trying to compensate for where there was an uncertainty in, in interactions between me and someone I don't know yeah. And I was always trying to overcompensate for that by being extra friendly, extra outgoing, until the ice is broken. You know, And that morning, the ice was broken immediately. And uh, so that was really surprising. Does she think there's been a sea change in the way New Zealanders respond to the diversity in their communities? I think it's opened a door for people to be more open-minded, more communicative, uh, maybe less judgmental, maybe less... Um, stereotypical. I think that it has opened a door for those things. I'm really, I'm really hoping so. But at the same time, she acknowledges what she calls a small negative element has upped its vocal and online attacks. Although a user in the past, she now stays away from Facebook, saying that's where the nastiness is at its worst. Layla Adams also thinks the events of March the 15th have forced many New Zealanders to confront some realities about themselves. You know, some of the ones who came to the mosque and um, were in tears, they weren't just in tears because they were sorry about the people who were killed or hurt. I feel as if they were also in tears because they felt bad. Like, you know, was there this unspoken question that said, if I'd been nicer to that Muslim that I, I saw the other day, maybe this whole thing wouldn't have um, happened, you know. And it's not a logical question, but I think people might have faced those things in themselves. The sort of incidents reported by the community include public abusive rants, racism, taunts over clothing, sometimes accompanied by threats of violence. As the Race Relations Commissioner for five years up until the middle of last year, Dame Susan Devoy was well aware of reports of Islamophobia and racial discrimination from around New Zealand. She says the bias in schools was surprising and highlighted the need for greater understanding. I've heard examples many times of young Muslims in, in schools who, when there is a, you know, a terrorist event, 
are asked in front of their class to explain what it means to be, what, what is Islam and things like that, which is so inappropriate. So look, I don't have all the answers and I don't know all the problems, but I know that not enough is being done. It's cold and blustery in Wellington when Pakiza Rashid emerges from work to share her thoughts about Islamophobia in New Zealand after the attacks in Christchurch. She's a lawyer and the chairperson of the Khalija Leadership Network, an organisation she co-founded to help Muslim women develop skills and confidence so they could take on leadership roles. Despite the outpouring of support after the terrorist attack, she remains sceptical about whether there's been any real change. I'm not sure whether that's been a real deep dive into what it means to be a Muslim and what our lived experiences are. Um, And I suppose the understanding of how decisions impact us and impact our lives. From her perspective, the initial positive response from the wider community has faded pretty quickly. While people seem to be more aware of Muslims and the issues facing Muslims, I think the empathy fatigue set in very quickly. Um, You know, our lives as ethnic and religious minorities are complex and difficult. I can't walk into my job and feel like I can completely be myself and say everything that I have to say and really own my lived experiences. I feel that people wouldn't necessarily be able to handle that, so I've actually got to almost tone myself down a little bit in order to be accepted. And I think most people from minority backgrounds feel that way. In some ways, we have to make ourselves more palatable. Pakiza Rashid believes such scant attention has been paid to the community that actually addressing the root cause behind discrimination and hatred is a huge task. One of the things following on from Christchurch is people would call me and say, who are the Muslims? Where are the Muslims? Um, You know, we've been invisible for so long here in New Zealand that people don't actually know that we exist, what we do, what we're doing, who we are. I'm like, we're everywhere. We're doctors, we're lawyers, we're teachers, we're students. Actually, what do you want? What are you looking for? And and people just didn't even realise that you existed. Um, And so it's that invisibility and now there was a hyper-visibility because of Christchurch, but we've returned back to the invisibility now. And so it's how do you navigate through that when you've got a people that are invisible? So how do you go out to a community that you've never seen before and that you don't understand? How do you say, I'm here to understand you? And so I think that's that for me is one of the key failings after Christchurch is we haven't had a national dialogue about that. What, what do we do about this? Because we're trying to tackle the symptoms, but we haven't actually gotten down to the cause of it. For her, the time is right for the government to confront reality head on. And Dame Susan Devoy wants action as well. I think what we need to do is address the changing demographics in our country and see if we're still fit for purpose. Uh, So, you know, if governments are serious um, about addressing these issues, then perhaps they should pay more credence to what is is recommended. Otherwise, you know, it does seem like people say that the commission is a little toothless. I mean, the fact is we've changed so quickly as a country. You know, we're a very multicultural country and, um, you know, we have bicultural foundations. We haven't actually... um, sorted that out uh, entirely and and, uh, appropriately. So, you know, I think there's a bit of a a bit of a gap and a struggle there to um, address some of these issues. You know, we need to ask ourselves, what is our strategy for countering violent extremism, whether it's Islamophobia or it's the uh, rise of the um, alt-right and um, white supremacist groups? What we're saying is we're putting more into security intelligence, but what we're not doing 
is the one thing that is proved to be beneficial is supporting those communities that are affected. The mosque is the centre of Muslim communities and for most a place of safety. During Ramadan at the end of May and into June, communities would gather nightly to break the daily fast together at sunset. In Kilburnie, the different communities are taking turns to provide iftar, the meal at the end of the day. After a small snack, including a traditional date, there are prayers in the men's and women's sections of the mosque. And also make dua for all those huffas who are participating in Qiyamul Layl. May Allah give them tawfiq to complete Quran Kareem, inshallah, or do the, the best of their Then each group gathers again in their own areas to eat. The women's section has pushed chairs around the walls. Babies in arms are with their mothers as they sit on the floor, either side of long tablecloths to eat. Older women sit in chairs, and younger children scamper as dinner is served. But the violence of the shooting left some Muslims fearful of returning to their mosques. While these fears seem to be diminishing for most, the nastiness being expressed by some lingers. The president of Manawatu's multicultural council, Rana Nasa, is aware of cases where Muslim women have been verbally abused because they're wearing a veil or hijab, or where practices such as not shaking hands with men have been made fun of. It's something she says that has always been there, and it's never spoken about. But it's when children are affected by prejudice that she feels it most strongly. There were some cases... These children were talked about or their mates that they make jokes, oh, you look at, you are Muslim and, and your mum does this and your dad does that and you are ISIS and you're killing people and you are criminal. So just imagine, like, students or children at school, they being faced with this behaviour. After years of being told that as migrants they need to integrate into the community and a lot of volunteer work to try to make that happen, Rana Naza says her thinking has now flipped. It's time for others to shift. It's not about us, it's about the people who are accepting us, being part of this community, that we have the same rights as any any other Kiwi. Yes, we look might look different, we sound different, but mind you, we're all migrants. We all came from different backgrounds, from different cultures. Actually, we add value. Like, the, our cultures or our different differences are adding value to the community because we have... We have wealth of cultures, we have wealth of uh, traditions, we have wealth of um, customs and we have wealth of um, things that we can add to this community and we can build. So why don't they accept us? Because we look different? Well, we're humans at the end of the day. And navigating life here for the new and not-so-new communities in New Zealand is part of the job of the Federation of Islamic Associations in New Zealand. What are the basic rules, you know, that are going to be interpreted to allow us to be able to live wherever we are living? These scholars, you know, will do that job. A lot of them are affiliated, you know, with fiance. We also, uh, you know, uniquely uh, contribute to the economy of New Zealand through our halal certification, which we have started, you know, about um, uh, 40 years ago. The Federation is an umbrella organisation with a long history and its current president is a scientist with AgriSearch in Hamilton, Dr Mustafa Farouk. He says the individual involvement from non-Muslim New Zealanders has declined as a week since the Christchurch attacks pass. But he's heartened that organisations are now approaching fans wanting to arrange talks to increase understanding of the Muslim community. 
But part of making everyone take responsibility for keeping extremism at bay is, for Dr Mustafa Farouk, an unequivocal approach to what people are saying, writing and sharing. He believes there's been a tendency to be a little too cautious about such issues. And it's now time not to focus on the rights of a small number, but instead the rights of the majority of peaceful individuals. We are very comfortable with people being free to say whatever they want to say, as long as it doesn't harm someone else. It doesn't lead to somebody else getting you know, harmed, whether physically, whether through their properties or whatever. So these laws need to become very strong and very clear and not you know, uh, ambiguous at all. That is, if someone, whether he is a media person, whether he's a politician, whether he's just a preacher or an individual, says something or encourages people to go and do something, he should be or she should be held accountable. The Deputy Police Commissioner in charge of preventing the victimisation of Māori, Pacific and ethnic people is Wally Homaha. More than a decade ago, at a time when Islamophobia was growing overseas, a memorandum of understanding was signed between the police and the Federation of Islamic Associations. Wally Homaha says he wanted to give the community a voice, a chance to contribute to policing discussions. Mr Homaha puts a great deal of weight on building relationships and trust, but there's still no practical way communities or individuals can record their concerns or any specific hate crime offences. Deputy Commissioner Wally Homaha says if someone is charged, any element of discrimination is noted. If somebody was attacked today, if that person was charged, we can record that immediately in our system. So if we had to go back and look at that offence, if it was offence again, as I said, anything of a hostile nature based on race, creed, colour or otherwise, uh, we can pull that information out of the system. Uh, We don't have a specific offence code called hate crime, which is where you want to go. Um, But uh, that's a discussion that, you know, is certainly not lost on us. And um, we are having those discussions not only within the organisation but with our Muslim leaders. He believes police have been listening to the community, but change can often be slow to eventuate. We can always do more listening, but, you know... uh, to change the system, uh, you know, takes takes quite a lot of uh, effort and a lot of time. In the UK, there are special efforts to track and measure Islamophobia, such as the website Tell Mama, where for the past six years people have been able to report Muslim hate incidents, from anti-Muslim literature up to vandalism and assault. After the atrocity of the Christchurch attack, Wally Homaha says some refocusing is needed. He says in terms of intelligence and overall effort, there's always room for improvement. But he's confident that police have done a lot when it comes to reassurance and connecting with New Zealand's Muslim community. We just brought together the youth and within really two years we were seeing significant difference. One who feels New Zealand doesn't need to follow the lead from overseas is Alia Densaizen, who's responsible for government engagement on behalf of the Islamic Women's Council. We realise we're very fortunate in New Zealand. That's it, It's one of those things when people are saying, well, you're comp- you were worried, but we also realise that we were very fortunate. Uh, we saw an increase, we knew there was harassment, we knew what was going on, we knew what was possible, but we also know that we can go out and walk. You know, I go walking almost every weekend out safely and don't go, oh, I'm going to be harassed. Um, That doesn't happen in the UK. It certainly doesn't happen in Europe and France and right now in the US, although 
when I go home, I haven't had many issues. You know, I'm afraid of it because I do know people who have. I think it's better that we just do a Kiwi approach, do it our way. Um, We can do this together, um, but we have to trust each other to do it. While appreciative of the support shown by New Zealand in the aftermath of the shootings, when I spoke to her just over a month ago at her home in Hamilton, Alia Densaisen said people don't understand the weight still being carried by the community. Since March 15th, I'm averaging about four hours of sleep a day, four to five hours of sleep a day, um, every day. And what happens is I go to work, I go do my job, then I come home and I start community work. This, this last week alone, I spent over 45 hours on community issues outside of my full-time job. I worked a full week. And then I have a family on top of that. They're teens. And so while most of New Zealand has gone back to their routines, and while they, they look on March 15th, as I said, event, we're actually rebuilding a community and we're also trying to protect a community and we're trying to move a community forward while we're grieving. I don't think the average New Zealander realizes that. Alia Densaisen is a teacher and students around New Zealand were at the forefront of the public grief over the terror attacks. St Paul's College pupils sang the Māori hymn Mō Maria when they were invited inside their local mosque near their school in Ponsonby. After the shootings, Jenny Salisa, the Minister for Ethnic Communities, has been speaking to Muslim communities around New Zealand and along with the Prime Minister held a meeting with leaders from over 70 mosques. Standing out among the messages she heard was the continued fear of Muslim women who were the most visible due to wearing the hijab. Jenny Salisa says abuse such as go back to where you came from is problematic on so many levels. This is a, a bit of a complication because, especially for those who are tangata whenua, they're Māori, there are quite a number of Muslim uh, women who are Māori, and so uh, right across the country I actually had three Māori women from different places around Aotearoa who have raised it with me that, you know, when someone says to them, go home, well, this is their turanga waiwai, this is their home. Uh, and this is uh, one of the misconceptions, I think, that some people have, that somehow uh, Muslim is is one race, but it isn't. Uh, We know that there are over 80 different ethnic communities that belong to the Muslim faith. One of the solutions that has had strong support is for changes in the education system to combat hatred. One of the top issues that came through was um, that we need to, in the schooling system, address discrimination, racism, racial bias, you name it, um, uh, unconscious bias, some of them told me, um, and bullying in our schools. Uh, You know, this uh, coming from young people as young as five and six years old. And so this is not an issue uh, that's isolated uh, to uh, people of the Muslim uh, community. The issue of uh, discrimination is a societal issue that uh, we are confronted with in New Zealand. Funds have been provided in the aftermath of the attacks for agencies to help Muslim communities. 
$1.8 million was allocated shortly after the shooting to specifically help the community in Christchurch and to hire extra staff for the Office of Ethnic Communities in the city. In the most recent budget, an extra $9.4 million over four years was allocated, a level of investment the minister describes as historic. It will be used to increase staff at the Office of Ethnic Communities further, and Jenny Salisa hopes these changes will overcome criticism that the office hasn't been listening to what the communities have been saying, as officials will be able to spend more time with people. Jenny Salisa says some of this money may be used to overcome another significant problem many Muslims, especially women, face, discrimination when it comes to getting a job. When they go and try to find a job... It is really, really difficult. Even our second, third generation uh, folks, uh, you know, young people who are born and raised here, uh, you know, they're Kiwi Muslims. They have a, a degree. But actually even getting to be interviewed, getting a foot in the door is really, really difficult. And so this is one of the things that, um, as a government, uh, we need to look at. The Islamic Women's Council has been reporting the vitriol they and others have encountered for years. The council's national coordinator lost her son in the attacks and her husband was seriously injured. Anjan Rahman, who's standing in for the time being, thinks there's a lot of unlearning and relearning to be done before New Zealand can really make progress. It's about educating people. It's about letting go of a mindset that... The way that I do things is the right way and the only way. Um, I think people like simple, easy solutions and they like things that are familiar and comfortable. And so it is uncomfortable to have to think about adjusting how you do things, to have to think about how you accommodate different people because it takes more work. Amongst the fear, warnings and anger over continuing hatred, bias and discrimination, there is also significant hope. Leila Adams, who attends the Kilburnie Mosque, wants to focus on the good. I mean, nobody wants this negative element to, to win, you know. I don't think anyone wants, wants them to win, you know. It just, why should they? You know, we, we want to be a positive society, not a negative society. So we don't want anyone to live in fear, do we? From a police perspective, Wally Homaha echoes those sentiments. The vigil ceremonies that were held in different parts, you know, that was the empathy and the sympathy for this community that New Zealand outpoured their, uh, their hearts um, to the Muslim community because they are a part of us. When you look at that whole unified approach to where this country joined hands, you know, everything else pales into insignificance and we can only continue to improve. Dr Mustafa Farouk is optimistic that this can be an opportunity to turn an act of hate into something kinder. You know, the rise in hatred, in anti-Semitism, in Islamophobia, and all sort of stuff that is rising, maybe we can stem that tide and uh, turn it around. I believe that it's possible. And I believe that although we are a small country, the way I see people looking up into New Zealand, big countries, their citizens, thinking that we are you know, a cool nation is a country, you know, that, you know, can lead. I think we should take that along with it. I hope someday you will join us And the world will live as one
programme was written and presented by me, Philippa Tolley. The version of the national anthem heard at the top of the programme was sung by Cindy Ruakeri for Christchurch after the earlier tragedy of the earthquakes. If you'd like to podcast other insight programmes exploring issues around the Christchurch attacks, you can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Insight page on the RNZ website, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you listening, and do join us again next time.